The following is a sermon from the church at Cherrydale in Greenville, South Carolina. To learn more, visit us at tccherrydale.com. I always struggle with the language to speak of, of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He was talking about kind of the gospel in pictures. I don't, I don't want to call these sacraments because it communicates more, I think, than we want to communicate about what's going on here, but I always get bogged down with calling them ordinances. That sounds so like just flat and boring, frankly. It's like uh, it's just kind of functionally what the church. So we're going to call them gifts. These are gifts that God gave to his church that help us get a picture of really what we're talking about in this series, which is uh, God's saving activity. God's saving activity in the life of Daisy and others testifying to that gospel and pictures through baptism. And then God's saving activity and inviting us to the table to have this conscious reminder consistently of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that is for us. Now, I gotta, I'm warning you, all right? If you're normally checked out during sermons, this is the time to check in or the end of this thing is gonna be super awkward for you, all right? You all engaged with me? So what we're gonna do at the end of the sermon is we're gonna distribute the elements. But we're gonna read the passage now, Jesus commending this meal to his followers And then during the time of reflection and singing after the sermon, you're going to partake of the elements kind of on your own at your own pace and at your own time. So if you're like waiting for the take and eat and Matt kind of doing that that thing, that's not going to happen. And you're going to end and you're going to be really awkward because you're still going to have the piece of bread and the cup in your hand. All right. So what we're doing is we're, we're holding out this meal for us, which just like baptism is for those of us who have trusted Christ, that we have said we are desperate sinners in need of Christ saving work. And by faith, we've been grafted in to his family. This is the way that Jesus would commend this to his followers. When the hour came, I'm in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, when the hour came, He reclined at the table, the apostles with him, and he said, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, and it's the new covenant in my blood. So what we normally do to begin sermons is commend like a mission moment, a mission spotlight. Well, this morning, baptism and the Lord's Supper are going to function in that manner for us as a visual reminder that God is still saving people. And if you're here this morning and you've been baptized and you can eat of this meal, you're testimony to that. Like God has saved you, praise God, right? This is good news for us. If that's not true for you, what I I want to encourage you to do at the end of the meal is pass on the elements here and choose to take Jesus instead, okay? 
Uh, Next time we have the Lord's Supper, come feast at the table with us. But for this morning, what you could do is lean over to a buddy sitting next to you and say, I'm not sure that I know Jesus. Can you help me? Or you can come find one of the pastors, be seated down front or standing off to the side, and we would love to introduce you to Jesus. Those who have trusted Christ in saving faith, we can receive this meal with joy, knowing that God's mission extended to to even us. So let's pray and give him thanks for that uh, as we turn our heart's attention to his word this morning. Our Father, we do thank you for these gifts that you have given to your church. We praise you for uh, the the visual picture of baptism, that that we have, have died to ourselves, that you have resurrected us, that we're raised to walk in this new life that we can by your Spirit. Just the abundance of pictures, this table that spread out for us, the, the picture of the great banquet that awaits us forever in your presence, that we who have no reason on our own to be able to come to your table, nothing in us that deserves a seat at the table, but you have called us to yourself, and you have, you have willingly sent Christ, the broken body, the spilt blood, on our behalf. This testifies to us that your mission is continuing and that we can be a part of that mission, living lives on mission for you. Pray that you would orient our hearts to that this morning, and would you, by the power of your Spirit, add seats to the table this morning. Like, would you, would, you, would you call people out of darkness and into light? Those who haven't professed their faith through public baptism, would they, would they do that? It's a testimony to your good work in them. We ask that for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, Matthew 9 is going to serve as our text this morning. And frankly, it's a fairly um, simple and concise passage for us. Uh, That will not be so starting next week. We're going to jump back into the book of Genesis, and we're going to consider the middle section starting around uh, chapter 15 and moving through chapter 35. These are some complex stories that are loaded with a lot of fun. So I thought I'd get a little confidence back this morning with a paragraph that uh, if you've been in or around the church for any length of time, this paragraph is going to be somewhat familiar. Matthew 9, I'm going to begin reading in verse 35. This will serve as our scripture reading this morning. Matthew 9, 35 and extending to verse 38. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his 
harvest. This paragraph, I believe, frames for us what I've been attempting to do throughout this month, really, as we kick off a new year. And it's been an attempt to bundle together a number of different aspects of the life of our church, from the preaching ministry to our core classes to even something like a missionary lab on Saturday. We've tried to turn up the temperature, on the awareness and the practice of evangelism in the life of our church. And just as a reminder of where we've been, uh, starting the first Sunday in January, we considered just what are we doing? What are we talking about when we say the church? And if you remember there, I distinguished between two aspects of the life of the church. It's helpful for me as a frame. The church as we gather and the church as we scatter. In the church as we gather, we're doing some things. We're attempting to intensify our affections for Jesus. We're attempting to bolster. My image there was the, the weatherman, you know, right before the storm. We're bolstering our, our trust in Jesus, battening down the hatches so that when we enter the world, we, we remind ourselves God's faithful. And then we're equipping our good works for Jesus. This is what the church is doing when we, when we gather here every Sunday. It's a consistent rhythm for us. But it's not all the church is doing. We're also spending the majority of our lives scattered from one another. We're not here and organized services, clearly defined leaders, but we're scattering in strategic mission. And over the last four weeks, both in our core classes and here, we've been asking the question, well, what, a, what does a scattered church look like? What, what are they doing? And we've really framed that around four ideas. The, the scattered church is going. That was week one, so second Sunday in January. The scattered church is going. And you say, well, I mean, that's right. We're, we're all going, sure. Like I go to my job, I go to my neighborhood, I go to coffee shops. I, but we, we all know the... You can go, just go, or you can go with intentionality. And we've attempted to say the Spirit of God and the people of God is sending us with intentionality that our neighbors, our coworkers, the place that we eat, all of that, like that that's infused with gospel presence. Secondly, what are we doing as we go? We're sowing. We're strategically sharing the good news of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ to do for sinners what they could not do for themselves. We're testifying to that good work. And if you've been in core with us, we've been attempting to help equip you with some language even that you could testify. So what is God doing in the world and what has he done in you? Then last week, we're asking the question, well, what, what do we do when we're sowing and we start to see this something coming to life. There's signs of life. Well, we're, we're training, or you might, using the harvest imagery, you might say we're cultivating that, those signs of life. We're walking with someone, modeling for them what it looks like to obey all things that Christ has commanded because he's with us to the end of the age. And then this morning, I want to consider just briefly the theme of sending, which is the last step of that process. We go, we sow, we train or we cultivate, and then we send strategically. 
Now, I've processed it that way or connected those dots together because I believe it's meant to work. The scattered church is meant to be somewhat of a, of a cycle in the fact that if you take any of these elements out, something, something goes awry. Take going out of the equation. Well, you're not connected to any relationships with people who are far from Christ but close to you, right? So no matter how conversant you are in sharing the gospel, it really doesn't matter if you don't have relationships with people or you're not strategic in those relationships to share. Well, clearly, if you take sowing out, you've got a lot of solid relationships, but those relationships don't ever go anywhere. Because you're never talking to people about Jesus. You might be talking about some God, or you might just be talking about life, but you never get to the gospel. Problem. Take training out. Will you leave a bunch of people without help and spiritual parenting? You've got a bunch of baby Christians running around who haven't been trained, modeled what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And then you take sending out. If you take sending out, particularly if we think about this in the frame of the early church, the mission doesn't advance. We spiral in on ourselves. We want the mission to go ends of the earth type mission. And so we commission those who've been trained and equipped to then send. And to do that, Matthew 9, I believe, paints a really good picture for us of the packing list for those who are being sent. Now, some of you, depending on your age, you you can either frame this up as like uh, when you were back in youth group or went on a trip with school, and you know, they, they sent the packing list home, or for Sarah and I, like we're getting ready to move into this stage with our older kids, and somebody kind of boils down for you, like, don't forget your toothbrush, right? This is really important. Things are going to go bad if you don't have your toothbrush. Don't forget you need some sheets because you show up and they don't have sheets on the bed. It's going to be a pretty miserable couple of nights sleep for you. So I think in this paragraph, Jesus helps us see what's the packing list for senders, for those who are going. And as you're listening this morning, we can think about this packing list, whether you're, you're planning to go to Salt Lake City or Chicago or India or to your neighborhood this afternoon to invite somebody to the Super Bowl party? Like, what, what do you have to take with you? Well, Matthew 9 is a bit of a, of a frame for us. One of the ways you can get into a passage of Scripture we haven't been teaching through the Gospel of Matthew is just kind of hold up the book as a whole and flip and kind of look around this passage that we're considering this morning. If you've got one of those helpful red-letter Bibles, if you flip back a little bit, from this scene in Matthew 9, we've got a bunch of texts that's red letters for us. We've got the Sermon on the Mount. That's an extended teaching passage where Jesus is saying, this is what kingdom citizens look like. This is what we're doing. Then Matthew's going to shift for us. And in chapter 8, we've got Jesus going and doing All of these acts, cleansing, notice in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we've got Jesus cleansing a a leper. We've got the faith of the centurion. We've got then, just like a summary in verse 14, Jesus healing many. This is moving forward. We've got Jesus' authority over a storm in verse 23. Jesus healing uh, those possessed with demons in verse 28. 
Then we've got chapter 9, the Jesus healing the paralytic, calling Matthew, a tax collector and sinner, to himself. So we've got these actions. This is what Jesus is doing. And then following, notice what's happening in chapter 10. We've got all this teaching or themes around Jesus sending people, sending them out on mission. So this paragraph serves as a bit of a hinge for us. Like your editors probably could have just as easily put this paragraph in chapter 10 as they did connecting to chapter 9, because it links both of these ideas together. Jesus has been out healing, and he's getting ready to send people. And what do we see happening in this paragraph? Well, in verse 35, I'll give you four things, four packing lists for senders. What do you need if you're going to go on the trip? to take the gospel, bring it to bear on others. The first thing you need is the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus. Notice in verse 35 what we see Jesus doing. He continued going around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. I think you can boil this down to really two ideas, Jesus says. Declaring the gospel, the availability of the kingdom, and he's demonstrating the availability of the kingdom. And friends, that's an easy thing to overlay on us. It's the exact thing that all those being sent are called to do. We're called to do these same two twin tower works to declare the good news of Jesus. That a relationship with God is actually available through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is stunning news. That I can be forgiven of my sins. God can receive me into fellowship. Me who was an enemy, I can be made right with God because of Jesus' work. This is what I'm declaring. And then I'm demonstrating the gospel. Now, clearly there's some differences in what Jesus is doing in verse 35 and what we're doing. But we're still no less demonstrating the power of the gospel to bring transformation. This is all of what chapters 8 and 9 are doing for us. They're picturing forward the coming day when God makes all things right. They're a sign, they're a foretaste for us of what is to come. And in a very real way, we are called to demonstrate through acts of love, mercy, compassion, care. Here's what Jesus is doing presently and what he will do perfectly, ultimately, right? So we're doing this. We're we're, we're demonstrating love to others and inviting them into God's kingdom through Christ. A pastor uh, that I feast on regularly, Ray Ortland in Nashville, who if you want proof that you can get better preaching, download Brother Ortland's sermons, all right? If you're like, man, I'd really like, Matt's all right, but I need some podcast help. Uh, uh, Ray is a, a wonderful teacher of the scriptures, but their church kind of uses this tag, three, threefold tag to communicate this, the threefold tag. I'm a complete idiot. My future's incredibly bright, and anybody can get in on this. I love that. I think that's awesome. I'm a complete idiot, totally helpless in my sin. My future is incredibly bright because of what Jesus has done to restore me to fellowship with God and ultimately give me a hope that extends beyond this life. And anybody can get in on this because this is the gospel for idiots. That's really good news, right? 
So we're holding that kind of gospel out in front of people and trusting that the wind of the Spirit is going to work wherever the wind of the Spirit works. Secondly, we need the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Which then demands the question, what are sheep without a shepherd like? They're, they're dead, right? They're dead. Either of their own ignorance or by virtue of the enemy's attacks. They're dead. So if you see sheep without a shepherd, there's a certain heartbreaking sense to that, right? I mean, it's the spirit you get when, when you find a puppy, like, abandoned. You're like, this isn't puppy abandoned on the interstate. It's not going to go well, right? This is, this is an utterly helpless scenario. And the language that the CSB uses here is they're distressed and dejected. You know any people like that? Now, my sense is, if you know some people who are apart from saving faith in Jesus, they're not going to frame up their distressed and dejected like, man, I'm the problem. I got big issues. But there's a lot of distressed and dejected people out there. We, we've asked often, I remember in a previous sermon saying, kind of put, if you can transport yourself back, like if you didn't have the hope of Jesus framing your current experience, how distressed and dejected this life would be, right? I mean, you ever kind of reflect on that reality? Like if I, if I couldn't go to bed at night thinking, praise Jesus, how depressing this world and this experience would be. So this is a sense of the, the heart of Jesus that's coming through, which then demands some, like, do we truly believe the eternal plight, the eternal fate and temporary plight of people far from God is that dire? Like, does that, does that grip your, your heart? Great temperature gauge for you is to consider your prayer life. If that doesn't frame up the way you're consistently praying, odds are it really you're not driven by that same heart of Jesus. Again, note the connection here. What's their biggest need? The availability of the kingdom through Christ. The appeal not merely to, to deal with their temporary distressed and dejectedness, but to address the big need, which is salvation through Christ. Then thirdly, notice the eyes of Jesus. The work of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus. He says in verse 37, I mean, this is a bit startling. He said to the disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. The harvest is abundant, the harvest is plentiful. I mean, this this started, like, this again presses on our hearts, right? How often we share, proclaim, kind of lean into these relationships. I'm like, man, I don't know if I actually believe anything's going to change, right? I don't, know if, I don't know if I actually believe anything can happen. Jesus' eyes are pretty different on the scene. 
And he, he mixes some images here, right? If we're an English paper, the English teacher is going to say, uh, I mean, the, like you just talk about sheep, and now we're talking harvest. This is, this is a bit weird, so we, but we got these images crammed together. I think Jesus is communicating this harvest imagery throughout his teaching ministry, so it's not inappropriate here. He says something that would be incredibly good news for the, har- for the farmer, right? Harvest is plentiful. You're a farmer, you're like, yeah, man, that's really, really good news. He doesn't say the ground is plentiful. <laughs> he, he, he actually says the, the harvest is plentiful, right? Again, pressing on, he's the one doing this saving work. It, there are people, he's calling people to himself. The, God, there are people whom God is saving, The harvest is plentiful. And then notice the contrast, though. But the workers are few. So so idea number four, the plan of Jesus. What's his game plan? The harvest is plentiful. Labors are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right? So super good news for the farmer. Super bad news for the farmer. The workers are few. So all this produce is just going to die on the vine, right? This is bad news. What's a human farmer going to do? He's going to go hire some workers. We got some stuff to pick. Come on. Get get in on this thing. What's a kingdom disciple? What's a disciple that Jesus is going to do? He's going to pray. What's the means of, of getting more workers and hence picking the harvest? It's praying to whom? The, the Lord of the harvest. I mean, the language there is, is clear. Jesus would use this in other places to say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What does it mean? He controls the terms, right? The law is not made for him. Everything bends. He sets it. And so he's saying here, I'm the Lord of the harvest. This is mine. And so you're praying to the one who is in control of the harvest. And what are you praying praying for? Well, to send out laborers into the harvest. To send out laborers into the harvest. Which then, notice in chapter 10 and what follows, we see Jesus doing exactly that. Sending out laborers, these first apostles, into the harvest. These are those whom Jesus has just called to himself. I mean, they, they've just been introduced to the kingdom, and now they're being sent out to declare and demonstrate the kingdom. Often, uh, unfortunately, this prayer gets framed for like what we do before we commission international missionaries as if it's some varsity-level Christian thing that you somehow step into the laborers who are being sent into the harvest. But as we've established throughout this series, those who are sent are all those who profess faith in Jesus. Our geography may change, but our sentness doesn't change. Right? So our geography may shift, but our sentness uh, doesn't, doesn't change. So they're, they're sent into these surrounding towns, villages, 
And throughout the Gospels, we see kind of there in the epicenter of Jesus' life and ministry, this declaration, demonstration of the Gospel. But then, early in the book of Acts, we see the geographical landscape expand quite significantly. Jesus tells these early followers, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. So what's the scope of the harvest? It's whole earth. It's everywhere. There's no indication that the harvest has dried up. There's no indication that we're not experiencing this same sentness from God going with his work, his heart, his eyes, and his plan. There is a sense that our geography is a bit different. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In a sense, we're working this plan in reverse, aren't we? Acts 1.8, well, the ends of the earth from Jerusalem, you're kind of sitting in it. I mean, this, the, the fact that the gospel's gotten here is pretty stunning, right? The fact that God used these early apostles and missionaries to communicate the gospel thousands of years later, the gospel came to you. Huh, stunning grace. And we need here laborers in Greenville sowing the seeds of the gospel among the hundreds of thousands who are enemies of God and objects of his wrath at this very moment. You're sent. And here's the good news. All you gotta, this is your packing list. This isn't superstar Christianity. This is people who actually believe Jesus saves. They actually care about people. They actually believe that God's saving people. The harvest is plentiful. They're actually praying and going with that level of intentionality. This is basic stuff, all of who have been reconciled to Christ. We need that this afternoon. Like We need you to live with that kind of intentionality around silly things like football games. That somehow the gospel is being declared and demonstrated around some really bad-for-you nacho chips tonight. And like that, that actually something significant can happen in a random kitchen in Greenville where you can step into the Spirit's activity in the life of one of your neighbors and testify to Jesus at what feels for you like happenstance, but what in the grand providence of God is very intentional. And you can speak the truth of the gospel and somebody can come to saving fit. Somebody can be brought out of darkness into light, like Sunday, whatever, February, whatever today is in Greenville. Like we need that kind of here intentionality. And then there's a certain Judea and Samaria aspect to this. Laborers serving in places that we have relatively easy access to. Adjacent communities, towns, places we can jump on planes and get to that years earlier would have been cut off from access. We need people, and there are people from our church moving to places like Salt Lake City or Chicago to testify to God's saving activity in places like that. We also, if you kind of read this, uh, so, so we need people here, we need people there. 
you could almost say there with kind of a tinge of like, there? Because I think that's how people would have heard Samaria in that day. Like, there? That's, that's not where I would naturally go, but we need you to go to the theirs. That place seems hard. That place seems cut off. There's a sense for me that like Salt Lake City feels like a there? It's weird. But we need people willing to go there. And then we need people to go literally everywhere. We, we need people from this church to uproot their lives, to, to, to say to family, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to Zoom this Christmas, not Zoom, like drive to you quickly, but we're going to actually like be in front of a computer screen and have a Zoom kind of Christmas deal because we're not going to be present because we're going to be halfway around the world. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be sad, but, but we, need, we need that kind of intentionality. We need people who are willing to go to take the gospel to the nations. And, and here's the, the good news that I'm reiterating this morning, that the packing list doesn't change. Last weekend, I was in Philly. I ran the rocky steps like seven o'clock at night uh, in a pair of ball shorts. And friends, it was cold. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was real cold. I did rocky kind of shivering, you know, by, by, below his statue. Uh, I'm going to go to Florida uh, this week. It's not going to be cold, Right. I don't even know where my shorts are, but we're going to break out a few pairs and it's going to be, the packing list changes depending on where you're going. The packing list for senders in the church, it doesn't change. You pack the same thing everywhere you go. Ends of the earth, your apartment complex this afternoon. So what does it look like for you? Well, one way the church can facilitate these steps is through short-term initiatives that get you out of here to the here's, there's, and everywhere's that we're called to reach. Last year, we set a short-term goal of having 40 of our Cherrydale members go on strategic mission. We had over 90 go for a short-term initiative outside of Greenville to take the gospel to people who were here, there, or everywhere. This year, we're going to press in the same way and call you all to take a step. Uh, We've selected six trips for this year, three U.S. and three internationally. Uh, Those can be found on our church's website or the church app. And we've been strategic in selecting those locations with this as my frame. Uh, I want uh, three locations in the U.S. that can be kind of level one, level two, level three steps for you. Level one, something anybody can do. Like, anybody can do, easy, super cheap, we're going to go and serve together. Level three being this is going to be a bit more challenging, a bit more difficult, and a bit more refined in your gifts. So this year, we're going to do another South Carolina mission trip, uh, level one. Level two, we're going to send a team with the Stuckies to do some scouting work in Chicago, uh, to prayer walk some communities and help them find a church planting partner that we can ultimately send them there to partner with. And level three, we're going to send a crew to Salt Lake City uh, again this summer to proclaim the gospel and work with our friends at Hope Church ahead of Caleb and Jamie Davis heading out and being a part of the work that God is doing there. The same internationally, level one, we're going to send a team to help Heather uh, as she transitions to Argentina, uh, get her feet on the ground, connect with her team, and serve and love her there. 
Level two, Carlos and Beth Calcias are going to take a team to Peru to serve with food for the hungry, uh, poverty, oppression, and uh, declaring the gospel, building some on the community center and doing some other projects. And level three, Josh Trainer is going to take a team to India to uh, backpack through some of the mountain regions and uh, take the gospel to some communities that have no access to the church or to God's work. Those details are online as well as the times and general cost for each of those. What can you do? Well, one, I would invite you all to consider taking one step of engagement. Zero in on one of those trips that either you can participate on or you can partner with in prayer. If you've done level one type partnership, consider level two. Consider one step forward. Or how do you know what you're called to? Find some means of personal connection to those projects. If you're in the Stucky small group, guess what? Consider going with them to Chicago. Like, help make this transition easy for them and helpful. If you've got some personal connection, you lived in Salt Lake City for uh, a summer while you were in college, well, consider going back and helping our brothers and sisters there with that work that God is doing. We believe in light of Ephesians 4 that the work of pastoral ministry is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which means that my job is to equip you to be sent. And if we can mobilize that through some strategic short-term initiatives, and this year we want to do that, so consider those opportunities. And as we go, consider the words of Jesus in Luke 14 when he told this story. One of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, and he said, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he told him, A man was giving a large banquet, and he invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they began to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a field. I must go to see it. I ask you to excuse me. And he said another, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And to another one, he said, I just got married. Therefore, I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go quickly into the streets and the alleys to the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who are invited will enjoy my banquet. Friends, this this isn't an invitation to pack the pew Sunday, right? This isn't, let's see how many, this it, we want to go because there's room at the table, that there is a kingdom invitation to people in Salt Lake City to trust in Jesus. There is a kingdom invitation to people in India who have never heard the gospel, saying, come to the table. And friends, we get to be the hands and feet of Christ in these endeavors as we go, motivated by the fact that the gospel has come to us. So let's live sent. Join me as we pray, and as we do, Lenny's going to come and play a bit behind me, or behind you, frankly, as you pray. 
the servers are going to come and distribute the elements to the meal. And as they do, uh, use this as a tangible opportunity to reflect on the fact that the gospel has come to you just as these elements of the meal will come to you now and that you are then called to go and declare and demonstrate the gospel as it comes to all, all those scattered throughout Greenville, here, there, and everywhere. As the elements of the meal are being distributed, would you reflect and pray? And then at whatever point, if you want to lean over to your spouse or friends that you're sitting around and voice a word of prayer, you can receive the bread, take the juice as a reminder, and then stand with us as we sing.